The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And again, welcome to everybody. I mentioned at the beginning of the program today that I wanted to talk about impermanence or death and this pragmatic effect. So we really have to check it out for ourselves, not to believe it, believe in it as some teaching, but to really see in a pragmatic way, well, what actually is the effect on my mind, the effect on my experience as a human being, what's the actual effect of keeping the perception of change in mind? And, you know, so much of our practice, you know, <clears throat> using the teachings of the Buddha, it's different practices about keeping something in mind. Just like we can keep pleasant experience in mind or unpleasant experience in mind. We can keep loving kindness in mind. And these different practices of keeping some aspect of experience in mind have different effects on the heart and how things unfold going forward. So now for the next few weeks, I won't be here next Sunday, Ayo Utende will be teaching, uh, Shelley Graff and I will be leading the, our annual uh, retreat that we have over Labor Day weekend, although this year of course we'll be online and we have a group of 75 people or so signed up for that retreat. Really happy that Ayo Utende can be teaching one of our one of Common Ground's Dharma teachers and a well-known Buddhist teacher and Buddhist writer and uh, someone really interested in the Buddhist Christian conversation and spiritual care and and how to show up in moments like we're all living in. So I encourage you to tune in next Sunday for Ayo's talk. Um, but probably for the month of September I'll continue this conversation because the Buddha makes a very big point of this training of keeping impermanence in mind. So, you know, there are many things happening right now in the present moment, but one of the most pervasive aspects of any moment, this moment, any moment, isn't so much the object that the mind is knowing, but noticing that whatever object the mind knows that it's naturally in the process of change. Nothing in, in the subjective sense, in our experiential sense, nothing is static. And so we, it's not easy because it's subtle, but we can train the mind, especially when there is some stability of present moment awareness. We really have done the work to stabilize present moment awareness so there's some continuity of that being in the moment, being present with things coming and going. And then what we're noticing, we're, so it may be on the surface, the mind realizes, oh, I'm breathing in, or oh, there's a sound that's being heard. Oh, the body's moving or the arm is stretching. But the contemplation, because of our practice, is to be curious about the changing nature, that it's changing. And the, then the interesting question that we can discuss together in the weeks ahead is, 
what is actually the effect on my heart when I contemplate change? And then I think it's especially useful, I don't know about you, but from people I talk with and from my own experience as a human being, this is a wild and challenging and in moments for sure really disturbing time between the pandemic and the bright the brighter light shining on racial injustice and all that what that evokes culturally in our society at this time and the politics that are churning moving and the environmental crisis and just the ordinary, unfortunately, ordinary ways that human beings cause each other and cause the world suffering. That have, of course, nothing is that new. Some things may appear more new, but, you know, violence, injustice, they've been raging for a long time. But maybe things are more in, in our face, more or more collectively more aware of it. I'm not so sure, but it seems that way to some degree. And we're all reacting to that exposure, you know, in our own particular way. Some of us closing down at times, some of us reacting with rage, some of, some of us in moments getting down to work and really contributing in ways that might lead to some lasting changes. And probably all over the place are response to what's moving now in our lives and in the wider wider world. And then so the question is, well, could this contemplation on death and this contemplation on impermanence, could it be a useful, a supporting part of how learning how to show up at a time like this? Because it might seem counterintuitive, like, you know what, I have already too much stress going on the last thing I want to do is contemplate my death, contemplate change, contemplate uncertainty, contemplate the unreliable nature. Why would I do that? It just evokes more stress. And of course, there are more and less skillful ways to contemplate death. And it's really important when we're listening, like we are this morning, to this part of the Buddhist teachings where he really strongly encourage us, each person, to find a way to get interested, interested from this place of actual curiosity in death, in change, in impermanence, in the unreliable nature of experience, because of the liberating effect it has on the heart, right? But we have to find our own way. If we're in a rush, like we're really feeling overwhelmed by life, and we hear this teaching that contemplating impermanence is liberating, we might go into it with a lot of greed, like I'm really hurting and I don't want to hurt anymore, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach for this teaching. So finding ways where we actually sense that the heart is curious about change. And I'll give you an example from my own life, and this is actually back a long time ago, over 50 years ago when I was a kid, and I don't really remember my age, but probably somewhere around eight, I'm guessing, or nine, so mid-elementary years. And I grew up in a large family, seven kids, two parents, 
and uh, you know how it is in those big families. We have our bath days where you take a bath, and when it was my turn in the bathtub, you know, a little bit of seclusion from the wildness of a big family. And I just remember, not that I understood it at the time, I understood that uh, something was happening that I didn't understand, and it had a really peaceful feel to it. And, but not peaceful in a sense of being um, sleepy, because my mind was hyper alert at these times. But anyway, sitting in the bathtub, lying back, the back of the tub, feeling comfortable probably. And then I would just notice sort of some kind of shift that I didn't understand. And, uh, and I would notice there was a lot of energy in the mind and there was a lot of peace and tranquility in the mind. So that seeming contradiction between being very alert, very bright and interested the mind, but the body and the mind also at the same time very tranquil and peaceful and calm. And that kind of stood out, right? That's not sort of the usual experience of a nine-year-old um, that I was having at least. And the, the weird thing to me at the time was it was such an ordinary experience. I'm just sitting in the tub. Why would this moment be so, so interesting to my mind? What was it that's going on? never really understood it at the time, of course, and after a while, didn't seem to happen, at least in that way, very much, you know, get concerned with other things, and uh, it wasn't until much later, when I had a deeper understanding of the Buddhist teaching, teachings, that I began to re-understand what was happening in those simple moments, right, because the truth of impermanence, it isn't that, you know, I'm born, and then some years later I die, that isn't the nature of imp the, the, to the total impactful nature of impermanence, or that, oh yeah, yesterday was Saturday, today Sunday, and Saturday is really gone, and now it's Sunday, and pretty soon Monday's going to be here, and Sunday will be out the door. But the impermanence the Buddha's talking about is this moment-to-moment, -moment. So in a way, we're learning how to die in the sense of the body finishing its life and beginning its process of decay, no longer animated with life. We're learning how to die in that sort of more ordinary sense by coming closer and closer to the reality of any moment. Because every moment the Buddha taught is a birth and a death. We miss it. Because there is this conditioning process that's happening where this brief moment conditions the next brief moment. And as this moment is arising and then passing, in that process of arising and passing, it conditions the next moment that's arising and passing. So one moment conditions the next. And with our superficial, not very clear, not very stable, not very continuous awareness, the mind understands incorrectly that it projects or imagines there's something lasting, like there's a me that continues moment by moment by moment. This is me. As I imagine the past, that was me too. As I imagine the future, that will be me. When I think back, like that story I just told you about when I was nine, 
that was me back then. But what we're do doing with this stability of present moment awareness and this cultivating this interest in this aspect that's always here, that things are coming and going, the instability and the uncertainty and the unreliable, ungovernable nature of phenomena, what we're experiencing externally, internally, everything shares this underlying characteristic of anicca, what we chanted at the beginning of the program this morning, right? So we begin to see that that birth and death is something that is as fundamental as any aspect. And in fact, you know, we say that, oh yeah, I'm having an experience of my body, or I'm having an experience of the thinking mind, or I'm noticing the sunset, some visual experience or some auditory experience. But really, when wisdom and awareness is stable, what starts to shine through any experience, whether we're walking or sitting or looking or hearing or thinking, what starts to shine through experience is this underlying truth of anicca. And it's not so much that the Buddha said, oh, go look for anicca. You know, like I mentioned earlier, that we're cultivating this perception of change. But the way we intuit or sense the changing nature of phenomena, the changing nature of our experience, is with this interest in being intimate, being close, because it is the underlying reality. So we don't have to go looking for that particular quality because it actually distorts the experience. We could only go looking based on our idea of change, what we think Anicca is, and so we'll miss it. So it's much more about cultivating a willingness and a respecting and a trusting of nature, the nature. In Buddhism, we often refer to with the word Dhamma or Dharma, the way it is. It's like, like when you, those, those exercises you did when you're teens, you know, in the kind of building community where you sort of fall back and the, and the seven kids behind you catch you when you're falling backwards. It's a little bit like opening to Dhamma, opening to the present moment. We're really trusting that there's something here to wake up to. And one way to understand that is there's this changing nature and it doesn't have to be a problem. Change, impermanence, birth and death, these things are a problem only in terms of our ideas, our fixed ideas often, about the way we think things should be. And then the truth of impermanence is a real betrayal of the way we think things should be. That I can, you know, work hard, bend the world to my will, and make things the way I want them to be, get my house or ho home in order, get my relationships in order, get my body in order, get the world in order, and then I have my utopia, my salvation, my place that I can count on. But doesn't take much reflection to realize that's not true. Nobody ever finds something that they can count on. 
the last words the Buddha spoke. And it's just interesting that this wise teacher, with surrounded by, you know, his sincere students, and his opportunity to share to sum up the most important thing in terms of what he had discovered was helpful in his own life, he was going to pass on because, of course, the body was falling apart. He would no longer be there to be a teacher, right? So what did he choose to say in those last moments before he passed away? Something like, Behold, practitioners, I exhort you, please listen. All compounded things are subject to vanish, right? Like we chanted, everything arises and passes away. Practice with earnestness. Be sincere. Be sincerely interested in this underlying truth. It's true in a big way. Sunday began. It will end. This talk began. Very soon it will end. This breath begins. This breath ends. So it's true in that more, the truth of impermanence is true on that more ordinary level. But even though we may not experience it very often or ever, we want to stay open that it's true also in a very uh, deep, pervasive, subtle way. That our experience, our ordinary subjective experience as a human being is really moment by moment. And so instead of being spellbound by the sense of continuity from one moment to the next, oh yeah, it's still me here, still giving this talk, same me as who was here at the beginning of the talk, right? So that idea that there's a mark giving a talk all the way through, same mark, not a different mark, keeps us spellbound. So we never actually look closely in a relaxed, from this place of relative safety, way and really see like this mind my heart had a little glimpse of as a young boy that this moment was brand new something had ended and something new was born and that's why the moment appeared to my mind as so fresh so alive there was so much interest of course it isn't about my mind telling myself a story oh this is what the buddha means by impermanence I didn't realize it, but I'm becoming a Buddhist. You know, I don't need, the mind doesn't need a story to explain impermanence. But when the mind experiences the truth of impermanence, the heart feels unburdened. So, uh, one thing I'm going to ask Gabe Keller Flores, our office manager and one of Common Ground's teachers, Dharma teachers, to put up on our blog and perhaps in the next weekly email is a really powerful guided meditation by Venerable Analeo, this uh, Buddhist monk. Uh, Venerable Analeo is a German person and he practiced and ordained as a Buddhist monk in Sri Lanka and has now uh, been teaching more in the West. Uh, recently in Germany, but now the last several years at the Buddhist, uh, the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies in Massachusetts. It's right next to Insight Meditation Society. And these are two organizations, the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies and IMS, Insight Meditation Society, 
that are sort of grandmother institutions to Common Ground Meditation Center. We're in that same lineage, lineage, and many of us have done a lot of practice out there. And they built Venerable Analeo Cabin uh, next to the study center, and he teaches there now online. But there's this um, really powerful guided meditation, death meditation, which is quite revered in the early Buddhist tradition to contemplate, to use the very powerful, metaphorically powerful idea of this body ceasing to be alive and then falling apart as fleshy bodies do, to use that very archetypal sense of the vulnerability of this fragile body that we know. We've bumped into dying bodies and we've bumped into dead bodies, human bodies and animal bodies before, so we get it. I mean, we may mostly be in denial, but when it's brought to our attention, we kind of get, oh yeah, and it's mostly met with fear, right? Because we don't really understand and you know, we generally interpret things superficially. When the body goes, then everything goes and there's just annihilation or we're dependent on some story, you know, when the body goes, then I go somewhere else. But those stories are always um, have to be propped up because we don't really know. However, we conceive death, we don't really know. And so the conception itself is vulnerable <laughs> to the truth being we don't know. And so if we have an idea of what happens at death, we're always propping it up, which is stressful. Well, that uh, guided meditation really, it's just interesting to see, well, what, when I think through, when I use my imagination to align with the observable, observable guaranteed reality that this body that took birth will one day fall apart and cease to be alive when I bring that to mind what is actually the pragmatic effect on my heart my life keeping that truth of death in mind and like I said this is highly revered in the Buddhist tradition so it really naturally for people who have been inspired by the Buddhist teachings we should find a way an appropriate way where we feel safe and the way we know we feel safe is we're able to relax with the contemplation to begin to explore this and I'll just give you some examples because it can be very ordinary you see a dead fly on your window seal right and just notice for a moment, in, instead of immediately throwing the dead fly away, or it could be a dead spider, just take a moment to realize, oh, that fly had a life. It was recently buzzing around the house, bothering me, and now that life no longer exists. There was birth, and then there was death. And just notice. Don't go looking for anything. Just notice what's there. Or you might realize that you had a project you worked hard on, the project is done. Really, the next day, contemplate the reality of that project existed and now it no longer exists for me. It's done. It's gone. Now I'm on to something else. Or Saturday was born. There was Saturday morning, then Saturday afternoon, then Saturday evening, and then I went to bed, 
and now I woke up and Saturday doesn't exist. And you can even like in a more tranquil setting, sitting outside or sitting somewhere where you feel uh, just the quiet is supported. Just notice that even moment by moment, like you have a thought, oh yeah, tomorrow I'm going to do this. And then you notice that that thought is gone and the person who had that thought three seconds ago, that person who had that thought is quite literally not here anymore. And now there's another person here having a thought like, what happened to that thought, <laughs> right? But to really see that this experience of me, the moment, the seeing, the hearing, the touching of this moment is this. And that whatever was previous doesn't exist. There is no past behind me. I can generate a thought now about the past, but that thought is arising right now. There really actually is nothing behind in terms of the past. But we imagine there's some, like I have a thought about the past, about what I did on Saturday, and it's almost like I throw it behind me and imagine it's actually, Saturday's actually behind me. But there is no Saturday behind me. There's nothing behind this moment. And the same thing is true about the future. Because I can have a thought now, I can imagine the future, whether it's what's going to happen after this talk, or what's going to happen tomorrow, or 10 years from now. And because of the superficiality and the, and the sort of compelling nature of thought, imagination, it might feel or seem like there's something in front of me called the future. But we know, like when we really settle into the moment, we can sense there's actually no future and no past. There's just this being known, this moment being known. So this is a really powerful way to contemplate birth and death. Besides that link to Venerable Analio's more traditional guided meditation, contemplating the falling apart of the body. He uses the really powerful way using the four elements, just the ordinary experience of sensation, the nature of sensation, to really practice putting it down. So I encourage you to look for that link. We'll have it up for a couple weeks so you can use it. Um, but there are many more ordinary ways, like I mentioned, just where death shows its face. Dead squirrel on the side of the road, a flower that was really beautiful a few days ago. A few days ago, snow turned dry and turned to seed. And this, especially this simple contemplation when you're more relaxed, to really just observe in your subjective experience how there actually isn't a past and there actually isn't a future. And whenever you're, oh no, no, there's a past because that happened, realize that's a thought now about the what I call the past or thought about the future. That thought about the future is now being known. It isn't actually out there in the, you know, somewhere in front of me. It's just something now. And that whatever we're actually experiencing now is of the nature to arise and cease. Whether it's a sound we're hearing that's coming and going, or a sight we're seeing, or a thought we're thinking, or a sensation we're feeling, or an emotion we're feeling, whatever it is, 
doesn't matter. Whatever it is, an idea or not, things come and go. And really get interested. And when you have something that appears to you to be very static and chronic and not changing, then really cultivate the stability, this integrity of present moment awareness and see. And your mind might be obsessing about something, but even in that obsessing you'll notice there's change. And then the real awakening will be when you find yourself thinking about something else and you realize, I'm no longer, whatever that obsession was, it took birth and then it ended. Because now, a moment ago, I wasn't thinking about it anymore. And this is very empowering. I remember once, I probably read it, but I might have heard Thich Nhat Hanh say it, but uh, I think I read it in one of his articles where he was telling somebody um, <clears throat> who was talking about being in an argument. He recommended that he, the person contemplate this per person 300 years from now or something like that. And, and you know, in particular, contemplate the nature of that person's body two, three hundred years out, that that body will be dust. So that's sort of interesting. This is another way, like when somebody's bothering us, some politician or some situation at work with people at work or with things in our family, things in our society, realize that every person has the nature to be born and to die. And some, you don't have to go out too far before that body's not going to be much of anything. And even the ideas of that person will be, you know, just part of the general mix of things. And it really changes how we relate to people to realize how ephemeral their life is. People might seem to have tremendous power tremendous capacity to kind of make stuff happen but that comes and goes and it, it makes like the we shouldn't speculate on what the effect because it might like the speculation might be that that will weaken me that idea that or contemplating impermanence that it might really free up the heart it may make the heart more and more fearless in how we show up in the world There's a particularly powerful teaching um, where the Buddha says something like, uh, this is a translation by Andy Olensky, a wonderful Buddhist scholar and teacher, fruitful as the act of giving is, yet it is still more fruitful to go with confident heart for refuge to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. So, um, so as useful as it is to be a generous human being, it's even more powerful in our life, more transforming to commit to waking up to Dhamma and expressing a life that arises out of that intimacy of being awake to the way it is. That's the refuges, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. And it goes on. And still more powerful it is to undertake the five precepts. So this is this training in sila and the integrity of non-harming, this valuing of non-harming. So first the Buddha acknowledges how transforming it is 
to realize the happiness of giving, but it's still so much more conducive to happiness and freedom to align with this practice, right? To a Buddha being intimate with Dhamma the way it is and expressing a life that comes out of that, the Sangha. But more powerful than that is this deeper valuing of non-harming, this deeper investigation of all the ways we might be complicit in harming ourselves and others. And really seeing that as an enlivening joy to value non-harming. Yet it is still more fruitful to maintain loving kindness in being for only as long as the milking of a cow. So as powerful as it is to value non-harming and to live a life with this integrity of non-harming, to have the mind absorbed, concentrated, um, relaxing into that radiance, that ordinary but powerful radiance of love. So that inclusivity of love for the couple minutes that it would take to milk a cow, right? So he's just giving an interval. So not very long. That is even more deeply healing in a spiritual sense than all those things that came before. And then he goes on to say, the Buddha goes on to say, fruitful as it is to be absorbed in loving kindness, to be immersed, drenched in that unconditional love, that inclusive love in all directions, as healing, spiritually healing and liberating as that is, it's still more fruitful, many times more fruitful, to maintain the perception of impermanence in being for only as long as the snapping of a finger. So just that perception of change, of birth and death, just a moment of being, the heart being very clear of the ephemeral changing nature of phenomena, has a, leaves an impression on the mind stream, on the heart, that's more transforming than all those other good things. So the Buddha's not dismissing the transforming power of being generous or the transforming power of taking refuge in the Buddhist teachings and this practice of being intimate with the, our lives and living out of that intimacy or committing to non-harming and this wonderful curiosity about non-harming and valuing of non-harming or the absorption into love and the unconditional love. So those things are great in healing and transforming and liberating, but sensing, opening, clarifying, trusting the truth of impermanence more so. So this is uh, something for us to take up. Why not spend the next week, next couple of weeks, I'll come back in two weeks, I'll Utende will be teaching next Sunday, as I mentioned, and I'll pick it up again. But why not spend the next couple weeks, and you might need to make a little note, you know, something simple like, see if you can be interested in change, how things come and go, how everything is a birth and a death. And live with integrity, live with intimacy with this truth of change. Like, 
keeping it in mind, keeping that perception of impermanence in mind. So initially it will exist in our mind as an idea. Oh yeah, everything changes. The Buddha made a big deal of that. So we remember that concept. Oh yeah, the Buddha was really big on impermanence. You can even remember that short refrain that I put at the top of the chat. All conditioned things, everything about life comes and goes, arises and passes away. Really getting this, really understanding, coming into alignment with this is the deepest happiness of peace. The heart that isn't running toward something lasting because it is grounded in the reality of change. It has made peace. It's no longer surprised by the ephemeral, changing, uncertain, unreliable nature of phenomena. So I'll just end with this, uh, some of the similes the Buddha used, where he described all form <clears throat> as a lump of foam, like the body, and all of our feelings as a bubble, and all the perceptions of our thinking mind as a mirage, mental formations as the uh, kind of empty nature of a banana tree trunk. You know, when you peel away the external, there's nothing in the middle, no hardwood, heartwood in the middle. And consciousness he likened to an illusion or a magician's trick. The Buddha said once, what essence practitioners could there be in a lump of foam, in a bubble, in a mirage, in a banana tree trunk, in an illusion? And he likened uh, reality to do, a dewdrop at sunrise, a bubble on water, a line drawn on water, a lightning flash, a dream. And things have the appearance, because of continuity, the conditional nature, things have the appearance of being solid. But we want to be really interested, really intimate relaxed and clear about our thoughts, about our sensations, about everything gross and subtle, so that we're really living more and more in the alignment, in alignment with the real nature of our experience as a human being. It's nothing magical about this. It's just about wanting to live with this integrity, being in alignment with the way it is. But we understand that we need curiosity. We need the stability of present moment awareness to really come into sync. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.